approaching in a way that like, I'm going to finish this thing almost no matter what happens. And I think it's those people who show up with that idea. Those are the ones that are getting things made. And it might take you a decade. I mean, that can be disheartening. So it's more about, that's why I like to talk about being prolific. You really have to approach this in a way that you're going to do it your whole life. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. My guest today is Brock Swinson. He's the interviewer for creative screenwriting and also the author of Ink by the Barrel. Welcome to the show, Brock. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love catching up with screenwriters. I don't write screenplays myself, but it's a fascinating genre because there's lots of principles that apply to other types of writing. So, for example, the three-act structure would be one that comes to mind, a principle that novelists often use. How did you get into screenwriting, Brock? I mean, to go way back, it's like my family talks in movie quotes. We grew up watching a ton of movies. I saw Psycho when I was like six years old and just kind of went off from there. I went to school to, to learn more about it. I've really done a little bit of everything. I did live in LA for a bit doing commercials and weird TV shows like Guinness Book of Records. I was a PA and stuff like that. But I started working for Creative Screenwriting Magazine. So I've always been like an aspiring screenwriter. I'm actually making my first film this year. I've been writing for the magazine for 10 years. And then at some point in the middle of that, I kind of said, hey, we have all this great audio. We should be using this. And they just said I could have it. So that led to my podcast, Creative Principles. So kind of like the combination of, I like to call it barred authority, kind of using my work at the magazine. I've led to some really great interviews, people like Ethan Hawke and Aaron Sorkin and Mel Brooks and all kinds of big names that I've got to talk to the last like 10 years or so. When you're talking to screenwriters that are quite well known or perhaps famous writers in a particular industry, do you find yourself having to take a lot of notes and prepare in advance and study up on their work? How do you approach interviewing somebody like that? It's definitely changed over the years. And I used to kind of like, I think it's more about just having a conversation, right? But I used to like, like when I when I interviewed Aaron Sorkin, I still had a full-time job. So I would take a lunch break and go sit in my car and be on the phone with someone like Aaron Sorkin. And during those, especially if they're more well-known, I'm like barely listening to what they're saying because I was nervous. I'm just kind of reading through my 10 or 15 questions I have and moving on to the next one. Now it's like, if I can help it, I almost don't even prepare. I make sure I know what, what they've got coming out and a couple of questions like that. But I spend like 80% of my interview just talking to them about things that interest me and hobbies. And you know, after doing 400 interviews, a lot of it's just kind of in my head, I guess, and just really just try to have a conversation because the best information I get it's usually from like a follow-up question. When you think back to the 400 interviews that you've had on the podcast, are there any particular themes that seem to reoccur in specific episodes or any particular perhaps challenges that the writers you've interviewed have overcome that you feel could help newer listeners or newer writers? I think so. I mean, it, it, all that kind of led to the the first book I wrote too, Ink by the Barrel. So it's based on probably the first 250 or so interviews I did. I like to use like Ryan Holiday's note card system. So I always just put a ton of notes in a pile. The same with when I read something. And what I did is broke this up into the ideas of defending your time, finding your voice and developing your process. And that seems to be the pretty generic way to write almost anything. Probably the biggest takeaway, though, that I hear the most and that causes people to believe in writer's block is when they don't separate the internal writer from the internal editor. If you're trying to edit as you write, you're just never going to get any words on the page. At least that's kind of been the, the general case for most people I talk to. Yeah, that's a challenge I encountered as well. And the challenge when I talk to new writers, they often encounter 
So years ago, I remember trying to write literary fiction and, you know, I'd write a sentence and then go back and rewrite it and keep doing that. And I'd never actually finished a story or get feedback from an editor. And it was only when I started writing and publishing online and hitting publish more often that I started getting website traffic and readers and then earning an income from writing. So well, when you think back to some of the guests that you've had on, is there any anything in particular that, that they're doing that perhaps newer writers aren't doing apart from separating writing and editing? So, for example, Ethan Hawke or Aaron Sorkin will be two notable guests that come to mind. Yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of got a different story. One thing really unique about like Aaron Sorkin is he started as such a like juggernaut. You know, he, he wrote A Few Good Men as a play. It turned into a movie. He got like a mentored by William Goldman, who wrote Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid. He I feel like this is a combination of me talking to him that also took his master class because that's what he was promoting at the time. He really felt like he had to be a perfectionist so much so that he couldn't really take a risk. I would almost almost argue that like he's a one in a million that it doesn't almost relate to. So kind of when I talk to people about if they want to, and I talk to more than screenwriters, I talk to authors, I talk to journalists and chefs and musicians and all types of creative types. I really think you should look for someone who's a level or two ahead of you, as opposed to Aaron Sorkin or Ethan Hawke. And those are those interviews do the best. They get the most reads and listens and everything else. But if you're trying to break in, you need to hear about the man or woman who just broke in last year. They're probably going to have more relevant advice than someone who's been around for 20 years and is just success after success, or at least seemingly so. Screenwriting strikes me as a particularly challenging career to break into. Now, I, I don't have a lot of experience as a screenwriter. So curious as somebody who's, who's at the call face of us, just how difficult is this? I mean, it's very difficult. Like personally, you know, I do know a lot of these names and stuff like that, but I'm just now really starting to, to build some relationships. I've written about five screenplays. And for the documentary though, and something you'd hear from a lot of people is just really go make it yourself. Like a lot of people think that you can just have a great idea or even a great script and it'll rise to the top. And that's true for probably one screenplay a year. Like it's not as common as you think. So you really have to be the type of person that when you show up with a screenplay or a pitch idea, you're planning to make the whole movie. I think that's why there's so many writer directors. That's why that's so common. So like the movie I'm working on now, it's a documentary series about the history of stunt performers. So it's like 100 years of stunts. It's called Daredevil Society. And I raised $20,000 so far to get started on this movie, but I'm proceed- I'm going at it about a different way than scripts, are, like scripts I've written before. I'm coming in as a writer-director, I'm doing the interviews, I'm doing all my expertise and my passion, all this kind of stuff like that. And I'm approaching in a way that like, I'm going to finish this thing almost no matter what happens. And I think it's those people who show up with that idea. Those are the ones that are getting things made. And it might take you a decade. I mean, that can be disheartening. So it's more about that's why I like to talk about being prolific. You really have to approach this in a way that you're going to do it your whole life. Mm, well, 10 years, that's, that's an incredibly long time. So when you describe being prolific and it can take 10 years for a screenplay to make its way onto the screen, well, like, what does prolific look like for a screenwriter? Is, is it producing a set word count each day is, or is it something else? I mean, so the first interview I did when I first got hired by the magazine, ironically, I feel like I learned more in that interview than I did in all of college. I sat down with this guy and and I think one of the things he told me is he just tries to write two beats a week. That might be like two scenes or two two beats a day. So like two scenes a day. And he'll get a couple of films made and a couple of TV shows made. But there's a pile of scripts. It's just not getting made. I mean, it's just everyone has kind of a different story. Now, on the other end of that, like kind of like the freakishly prolific. There's like Matson Tomlin. He wrote the new Batman that just came out in the last year or two. 
he was writing 12 scripts a year. He was really writing a movie every single month. That's like, so you have to have a crazy outlining process. You have to be confident in what you're doing. You have to put a ton of work into that. I mean, I wouldn't say anyone should strive for that right away. I would say like writing, I try to write two scripts a year now, along with everything else I'm doing. That seems to be a little more like manageable, but you know, he wrote those 12 scripts and two or three of them got made. So you definitely advance very quickly in the craft. And it may just be that it takes a year of that grind to sell something. I, I doubt he's following that up year after year at that pace, uh, but that was kind of his break-in story. He wrote Project Power with Jamie Foxx and then the uh, the new Batman movie. Wow, impressive. So it can take three to six months for an established author to write a novel, factoring in rewrites, drafts, editing, revisions, feedback from beta readers. Is it a similar process for writing a screenplay? So it sort of depends. If you get hired by someone, they're going to give you a date. Like if if a studio, they're selling the new Super Mario Brothers movie or whatever it is, they're probably going to give you a couple of months. But if you're writing a spec script, which is what I encourage most people to do, it's really up to you. You can spend a year or years on it. But if you want to get to that level where you're in a writer's room writing for TV shows, you need to be able to probably write I don't know, 30 pages or so in a month or more than that. Like you need to finish full episodes pretty quickly to be a paid writer today. So when when it comes to you writing your your screenplays and scripts, how much of the week do you allocate to that versus everything else that you do to, I suppose, build a sustainable writing career? I used to sort of try and like chip away at like everything I was doing every single day, but that just really didn't work for me. So instead, I, I do probably more like sprints and marathons of writing. I get up every morning, create something. But it's a balance of like maybe some film editing for my documentary, maybe some writing articles, some emails. I'm also a copywriter. I've been a, a marketing copywriter for about 10 years as well. So I'll like with the book I'm writing now, I'll throw note cards in a pile for probably 10 months. Then I'll spend like two months writing that book. The same kind of process with my scripts. I'll, I'll spend like maybe... 30 or 60 days just thinking about it. And then we'll kind of start to write. I've also got a writing partner for some of the work that I do. So I kind of go back and forth. Whenever I can create some form of accountability, it does work best for me though, whether that's a deadline from a publisher or a partner I'm meeting with every week. Oh, interesting. A writing partner, is is that somebody who you're collaborating with or is it just somebody who you hold each other to account about what you produce each week? In this case, we're collaborating together. It's someone I've kind of known my whole life. We have very similar tastes in movies. And I've interviewed a lot of screenwriting partners. They kind of the general advice is they're a draft ahead because you have two eyes on it. You're moving a little bit faster than everyone else. It's also kind of less daunting because you're instead of 120 pages, maybe you're writing 60 pages of a movie. So we're working on, uh, we've written two films together. We write more horror stuff where I write more maybe in the style of like Taylor Sheridan that does Yellowstone or something like that. So it kind of depends like what the project is, but I like to kind of bounce between those. And then, you know, we use the rules of genre and that accountability to kind of churn out some screenplays a little bit faster, maybe than some people. One thing we did with our first script, actually our second script, we spent like six weeks coming up with 100 ideas for horror movies. We narrowed that down. We spent like six weeks talking about that, going through them, kind of picking the top 10. We sent those out to a bunch of people that we know love horror movies, and they kind of helped us narrow it down to three. Then we just picked our favorite one and wrote that. And by the time we got to that stage, everything went pretty quickly. So I'm very much into like the iceberg idea of outlining, and then it it happens a lot faster once you've done all that you know, early work. And are you creating a lot of those outlines using index cards or a whiteboard or are you using dedicated screenwriting software? 
Outlines and stuff like that, it's usually something simple. We might even be using like a Google Doc or something just to talk through it. Me personally, like with the documentary, I feel like I switch this up all the time, but I'm big on index cards or at least something like physical, like whenever things are too digital for me, whenever I'm trying to do three projects or all on the computer, I'll get stuck and feel like I'm just can't quite do as much of it initially or eventually something will go to index cards. Yeah, I use index cards for a book I wrote some time ago. And sometimes I find if I'm stuck, it's helpful to have something tactile that I can move around rather than than trying to figure out why it's not working by staring at the writing application on my computer. So I definitely recommend that approach. And that is similar to what Ryan Holiday recommends with the commonplace book where you're actually physically thumbing through or moving through your ideas. So you've taken a lot of the advice from your interviews, and you've distilled them into a new book, Ink by the Barrel. Could you tell listeners about the book? Yeah, I started writing it during the pandemic. I wrote the first draft pretty quick, then I spent a little more, I kind of went away from it and came back, and it's just now like officially out. So Ink by the Barrel, the idea comes from, it's falsely attributed to Mark Twain, it actually comes from a congressman who said, you never quarrel with the man who buys his ink by the barrel. That expression means don't get in a fight with the press, they have more power than you. I'm kind of turning the idea around just to say that you should be the type of person who buys your ink by the barrel. Now, today, that's more metaphorically, but I really believe you get to the quality through the quantity. So everybody's got some bad scripts or bad novels or bad pages somewhere. But the more you kind of turn those things out, the better you're going to be. And then I kind of you know divided that up into the three sections of the book. And it's really just all about being prolific. And some of the ideas might even kind of contradict each other because I feel like everyone's process might be a little bit different and who you are today might not be who you are in 20 years. But the whole goal is to create a habit that lasts a lifetime. So did you spend much of 2020 writing this particular book? I want to say, yeah, I spent a bit of time with note cards and then I probably wrote the first draft in like less than two months, maybe like 45 days or something like that. And then I kind of just set it aside. I I sent some copies to some friends shortly after that, but I really kind of just waited. I had this multiple jobs and different things I was doing. Part of the reason why it's just coming out now and I'm actually giving away for free is I'm really just now getting into marketing. I've almost like avoided marketing myself for all these years besides the podcast, just because I've been a ghostwriter. I've kind of worked behind the scenes for a lot of people. I worked at ClickFunnels for a while, so I got to write copy for people like Russell Brunson and Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi and some of those big names. I just did a lot of stuff with an investor named Pace Morby for about a year. So I've always been behind the scenes, but it's just now felt like the right time that like I'm kind of confident enough to start creating my own courses, my own books, my own movies, stuff like that. So I feel like I've been an apprentice for a decade and now it's time to kind of step up and, and take some bigger swings. Those are some good names to work as a, as a copywriter for. <laughs> you must have learned some good principles about using, using words to sell products and services. I actually worked as a copywriter myself, but it was for a software company. So copywriting and also screenwriting are both being impacted by AI. So screenwriters are striking because they're worried how AI is going to change, how people write scripts. And conversely, Copywriters are using AI more and more to create sales pages and optimize their copy. Have you experimented with the technology much? A little bit. You know, the last job I had, everyone was kind of talking about it. I've checked things before and they've always been kind of nothing really special. ChatGPT does seem like something more unique. 
You know, and I think what screenwriters are worried about is the producers or studios, they kind of see it as like, well, it's good enough. And it probably is good enough with old TV shows, meaning like procedurals, like every Law and Order or every NYPD Blue or something like that. It's a pretty standard formula that you follow. But whenever some film or movie really changes the zeitgeist, it's it's like you couldn't really predict it. If you think about back in 99 when The Sixth Sense or The Matrix came out, those were spec scripts. They were someone just sitting down and writing something totally unique. And, you know, the big thing about using those you know, chat GPT and everything else, they are basically a form of plagiarizing. I mean, that's what kind of people hate about it, I think, right? So that's that's part of the reason for the strike. I personally looked at it the way that a showrunner runs a writer's room. I see chat GPT is a very intelligent intern if you know how to use it correctly. I think the term now is like prompt engineer. I'm seeing that all over Upwork now. Everybody wants a prompt engineer. So like the, the new movie we're talking about, it's loosely based. We're writing a movie with my partner. It's loosely based on the idea of like, uh, the movie Casablanca, but instead of the Nazis, there's a, there's a Jack the Ripper type, right? So we went through, we talked a few hours about an idea, and then we put a similar prompt into ChatGPT, and it was pretty close. I would say you can use it for like scaffolding, right? You can use it to kind of figure out the tentpole scenes, and it gave us, but it's really generic. It kind of goes to the extreme of things. I think at the end we said, now put a Tarantino spin on it, and it kind of did that, you know. So I might use it for outlining or to get to a, I don't know, just like a couple steps ahead of that, the very, very initial process. But all the really good stuff comes elsewhere, I feel like. I mean, it is just based on what's already out there. So you're not really going to see anything new. I think that's what's so, I don't know, detrimental about where we are now. And, And it could change in 10 years. We'll kind of see where it goes. Yeah, the technology is certainly getting better, but... It's an interesting description that it's it should be something that should be an assistant rather than something that you're going to use verbatim. I read an article some time ago about ChatGPT and somebody had asked it to write the outline for the final episode of Better Call Saul. They were saying the results were quite cliched and it didn't quite have the same snappy dialogue that's in the final episode. So I thought that was quite good. Anyway, back to the book, Ink by the Barrel. You, you decided to give it away for free rather than to sell it. What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone I've worked with has always been kind of a service first thing. Russell Brunson, Pace Morby, that's just kind of what they've done. And I've really, you know, Pace talks a lot about this book called The Go-Giver and this this idea of just kind of giving all the best stuff away for free. So I, I gave away the book and the audiobook. It's on brockswinson.com right now. So I recorded the audiobook. I like the idea that you can listen to it. And then if you want to later, you can say, what did he say about Jerry Seinfeld? You can just kind of control find in the PDF and, and go back and use that as a re- as a resource. But I gave that away. I gave the prolific challenge away, which is something I, I paired with it. So it was a 30-day video series just to encourage people to develop the habit of writing. Now, eventually, I'll kind of start to sell some stuff. I think the more you can just give away to people, earn their trust, let them know you're for real, let them know the type of work you're putting into everything, they're more likely to take that chance. Because the other comparison is just like they're going to see an ad with a price tag on it. They don't know who you are. They don't know any of this stuff, you know. So I think like you just want to build that trust first. So I had a thousand people sign up for that challenge. The first one I did was back in April. What I'll be doing a couple more times this year. I let people kind of apply and I worked with like about 12 people one-on-one just talking to them. I was kind of surprised at like the common problems they had. And it's like talking to myself 10 years ago and I just couldn't make it a habit to write every day. I couldn't figure out what to do next. So I really like that idea. And you know, eventually I'll kind of do a mentorship around that and work with some people one-on-one and, and really just teach them, you know, the multitude of things that I've done, how that can relate to their own work. 
Did you get a lot of screenwriters or was it fiction writers or novelists? Or It was probably more like prose fiction, but also like the ad I was using at the time had like Hemingway and Mark Twain on it. So I think like it's more about who I was kind of targeting at first. So I've done some other ones. Like I did a, a 10 script giveaway that was also for free. Like that was more screenwriters. So when I write weekly emails, you know, ironically, if I was marketing with someone who's doing all this, I would say, hey, you're doing too much. But I'm trying to do it like under the umbrella of like the idea is just to be prolific. So I can like, I've been obsessed with this for this whole time. And with my podcast, I'm always talking about the intersection of creativity and productivity. And like to me, that is what prolific means. So the more I can do that in different ways, I'll eventually kind of see what hits. And then that's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with everything. Yeah. For a while, I taught productivity as a writer meant hitting a certain word count and What I learned is that that's helpful when you're at the first draft because you want to get to 10 or 20 or 30,000 words. But when you're editing, it's not the same to try and hit a target word count. So I started tracking the hours I'd spend on a draft or perhaps how the status of a particular chapter. Are there any other lessons about that intersection that that you've um, uncovered over the years? I actually kind of said that in the, so in the prolific challenge, like the Every day I would record like a five minute video. I would talk about a lesson from the book and I would show a clip from some of my interviews because since the pandemic, they've all been in video format. So I show a clip of like Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Judd Apatow kind of reinforcing an idea from the book. But the biggest thing is like kind of what you just said. I was I would kind of encourage people like your instinct is probably going to be, I want to write 500 words today or a thousand words today, but it's almost better to start with like the timing and the environment. So pick a time every day, probably the morning, maybe at night. It's whenever most of your family or friends are asleep. It's probably when you're going to find a time and take 10 minutes if you're brand new, 20 minutes, like nothing crazy. You can work up to Stephen King's four hours a day, but don't start there. And really just don't worry about word count, worry about time. And then I probably reinforce this 10 times. I haven't met Neil Gaiman, but I've heard him say, you can sit at your desk and you can write or you can do nothing, but you can't do anything else, right? So like, that's the whole idea. You're just developing a habit of 30 days. Even if you, you know, quote, fail most of the time, it's just an experiment. It's just like a process to to prove to yourself that you can at least sit there and stare at the screen and eventually some words are going to come out. Yeah, I think he might have said that on his masterclass or perhaps on a Tim Ferriss interview that he forces himself to sit in a room and even if he doesn't do anything, he won't leave the room until the time is up. I suppose it's a great way of building productive writing habit. Do you track your, your output in any way? Not like kind of what you just said. I feel like I'm more probably to-do list oriented or something like that. So the recent thing I'm doing, I probably switch this every six to eight weeks. So I'm always switching what I'm doing. I'll kind of pick like I want to get, you know, I can only do about three things per day. Like that's kind of the max before I get overwhelmed and then can't. And then just otherwise I'll make a list of 10 things and just hate myself all day. It's like it's a worse mental state for me to be in, right? So I'll pick three things per day. So if you think about that over a month, you know, you can do like maybe 90 things. So I'll print out probably 40 that are on a piece of paper. Like, this is what I want to do, right? So right now, 30 of those for me, I'm recording a new Upwork challenge. I want to teach people for free how to find their first client in five days guaranteed. That's the idea, right? So I'm going to record 30 videos. So already that's a third of my month. And I've got probably another 30 things I have to do that are, you know, paydays or accountability or whatever. And then I'll leave like 30 open spots. I like to print this out and write everything in ink. And then like when you see how many spots there's left, 
you know that you can only do so many things. And then everything is like, is this worthy of the time? Is this equivalent of what else is I promised myself I would do in the month of June? And I'm literally keeping that thing in my pocket because we're traveling a bit. So I want to kind of keep it with me. And I change this all the time, but that feels effective for me right now, at least for the month of June. We'll kind of see where it goes. I'm glad you mentioned the concept or the idea of a season. So a while ago, I interviewed Louise Dean as she was nominated for, I think it was the Booker Prize, which is like a literary award in Europe. And she also coaches novelists. She advises them to write the first draft in a season because it's not so long that you're going to put it off indefinitely, yeah. but it's long enough to actually get some meaningful creative work done. So even though you're not going to have it edited and published in nine months, you'll have the first draft done. And I, th- I thought that was quite a good principle. Three things is enough to do that if one of those things is working on your draft of your book. So we're nearly out of time, Brock, but I was curious, you've mentioned some of the notable interviewees, but are, are there any other interviewees that really made a big impact in you or that come to mind or that you'd recommend listeners go and check out on the show? I mean, they've all got a different story, probably like one that stands out to me because I feel like I'm kind of writing in the same sense where I you know, strive to. We interviewed Paul Schrader, episode 100 of my show, I think. Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver. He wrote First Reformed, which won the Oscar. I think he did a card counter. He's got a new movie out now called Master Gardener. He's been around forever. I think part of that, like churning out those, what people say, five to seven bad scripts, you're finding what your voice is. Every movie that he writes now is basically a different form of the same movie, right? It's some kind of anti-hero barreling towards a violent catharsis, right? That's how he writes. And that's how I like to think of a lot of my characters. And even the same thing for like the movie Parasite that won the Oscar. That writer-director did probably eight movies about class warfare. So eventually you're going to find some idea that really you're obsessed with. And I think that's when you're going to know, like, this is my voice. This is the story I need to tell. And I may tell it a hundred different ways, but that's just, I don't know. I feel like all the interviews I've done, there's some version of that in there. It's kind of like putting in your reps or figuring out how to retell your story in different ways. So Brock, where can listeners go if they want to read your work? Yeah, so I'm on this creative screenwriting website. There's Creative Principles podcast. It should be on all the major forms. And then at brockswinson.com, you can go up right now and get the book for free. And if you get the book for free, you'll also be part of just my weekly newsletter. I'll kind of let you know what's coming out next. A few things we're working on. I have a small team. It's just myself and my assistant. We are doing an Upwork challenge now. And eventually we'll teach people you know, how to make six figures on Upwork how to write a movie in 30 days, how to write a book in 30 days, some stuff like that that are just really principle-based about how to be prolific. So all that's on brockswinson.com. I'll be sure and add the links to the show notes. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It was great to be here. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings, and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today, or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce, and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software, and on my writing courses. Thank you.